This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. Welcome to Backstage at Tillis Center. I'm Sherry Linker, Director of Communications here. And today I'm so excited because we have the pleasure of speaking with one of the most energetic people I've come across, not just here, but ever. Sorry, I'm really overselling. Stephen Breeze, the Dean of the College of Arts, Communication, and Design at Long Island University. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's great to be here, Sherry. Thanks for inviting me. Make sure you keep that energy level high. I'll do my best. (laughs) I've promised a lot to the listeners. So what I want to start off with is I love your background because you started in something completely different from where you are now. So maybe if you could just share a little bit about your journey and then that'll take us to the present. Great, Sherry. So the the truth is, is that when I was at college, I was going to be an economist. And I studied eco- economics for a very short time and then took an acting class as an elective. And my acting teacher said, hey, you're pretty good at this. And I changed my major and became an actor and wound up going to California to the Arts uh, for my master's degree, which is one of the Really premier, very fortunate to be able to get accepted there as one of the premier. Are you uh, an East Coast person? I, I'm actually a Midwest person. Oh, you're from Ohio, yeah. Did we talk about this? I think I'm we from did. Louisville, Kentucky. That's right. Okay. So <laughs> when, I, when I wound up at California Institute of the Arts, it was a huge uh, opening for me in terms of uh, opening my mind and opening my creativity, opening who I wanted to become. And uh, went into the industry and was a fairly, I would call myself a, a work-a-day but successful actor. I was able to, to um, uh, support myself, uh, buy a house, uh, have a car, all on acting money. All on acting money. And what um, type of uh, performances? I did all kinds of things. I, I wound up in Chicago for a long time and worked when Chicago was still emerging as one of the artistic centers of the United States. And so I felt very lucky to be a part of that. I mean, Steppenwolf was growing at that time. And, and we were all sort of there trying to start our own uh, businesses. But I was embraced by the industry and I did a lot of stage. I did some industrial film. I did many commercials. I was one of the people that introduced the Ford Probe when it was around. It's since died. <laughs> but, um, but the truth is... I won't blame ha- you for that, though. <laughs> so, the, so the truth is, is that that was a, a real vital part of my career. I went o- overseas, did a little work uh, as an actor, and then came back to the United States and had the great luxury of having a few dollars in the bank and decided to take a little time off and discovered teaching and 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 I, I was shocked at how much I liked it and became first um, a teacher. Um, I worked down at TCU down in Dallas Fort Fort Worth area a while and then came to the East Coast. After a, a period of time teaching, I became a chair of a department as happens uh, frequently. And then um, the president of the institution I was working at at the time thought maybe I'd make a good dean. And I became dean, and I've been doing that for 10 years. So from actor to dean in about a 40-year period. Which is probably uh, a good training ground to become a dean. (laughs) I think that the performing arts are a great training ground for just about anything. Because the the critical thinking... You heard it here first, folks. And the creative thinking and the the way in which you have to present yourself and the collaboration that you do as a a performer, all of those skills are transferable as you become a a business person or an education. So 
fast fast forwarding 40 years to the present, can you discuss your vision of the College of Arts Communication and Design at LIU? Sure. Because you've only been here about a year and a half now? No, not or? even a year yet. It'll, okay. be, it'll be a year at the, fir- the 1st of July. Okay, so coming I'm, up on I'm a still, good time. I'm still a newbie. <laughs> The uh, the school of or the College of Arts Communication Design is is comprised of two schools. We have a school of performing arts and a school of visual arts. And the performing arts, of course, has music and theater and and the visual and perfor- uh, visual um, arts and communications and, and digital technologies have film and broadcast journalism, public relations, all the fine arts, as well as the digital and game design. So it's it's a comprehensive school and college. The vision is is that in a nutshell is that we're a professional college. Right? We're dedicated to offering creative vision and technical skills necessary for our students to succeed in the marketplace as it exists, as it exists today and as it exists tomorrow, will exist tomorrow. So a professional college is a big thing to think about you know, because there's so many different um, uh, disciplines within the College of Arts, Communication and Design. But let me just break it down a little bit for you, Sherry, because I think it's, it, it's an interesting mix. The creative productivity – Creating content, whether it's performance or whether it's visual content, is what we do. So we, we start with an idea and we end up with a product. You know, we call it uh, going from um, concept to completion. This is a, 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 an enormous process to learn as a student. We all do it a little bit in life, right? If you're going to write a paper, you're going to write a poem, you do it a little bit in life. But those of us in the arts, we think about this all the time. So, you know... When you think about looking at your cell phone or turning on a computer or visiting a website or flipping on a television or plugging into music or a podcast like this, someone's creating that talent or uh, that, that content. There is talent that is creating that content. So what we do is train students to create the content for today and tomorrow. And this content is growing very quickly. I mean, how many channels did you have on your television when you were a young person? Three. Yeah, I had four. So, you know, we had a UHF channel too. Now we have hundreds and someone's creating that content. The students in arts communication design are integral in creating this kind of content. So when you think about the information age, the entertainment and the information age and the content that saturates our lives, you know, we are training students for the next 50 or 100 years to create new stuff that we're all going to consume. So uh, it's a growing field. Uh, there are, are uh, all the data show that it's going to, not going to stop growing anytime soon. So the students that come uh, f- uh, to really work in the, in the College of Arts Communication Design have a great future for them, and they will work in all sorts of areas for the rest of their lives if they, if they like to be creative and they like to build stuff. And so to that end, how important is it for a performing arts center to complement the work that you're doing in the classroom? It's almost incalculable how important the Tilla Center is to what we do because the Tilla Center is, brings to our campus not only the finest talent, but it also brings all of the technical expertise with it. So our students have a chance to go and see some of the greatest performances uh, around. Um, it's you know, obviously bringing New York City to Long Island. It really is that sensation. And students have the opportunity to go and see it. But more importantly than that, or as importantly than that, I should say, there is a sense of interfacing between the artists that come here and our students. 
Uh, I have to tip my hat to Bill Biddle. I've worked with him for a lot of years, the executive director of the Tillis Center. And he often has said to me, there isn't six cents worth of difference between what we do, what he does, and what I do. Because he understands the Tillis Center is here in part to offer an education to our students and to the public and to, and, uh, uh, to uh, young artists. But he also understands these. he has a, a great responsibility to make sure we present the very best for, um, for all audiences. Because his vision and his ideas of bringing education as well as great artists to our campus, our students benefit in both ways. They learn through watching, but they also learn through doing. So we feel very lucky. I can't. So, and for example, we had a, a, a partnership, a residency this past year with Martha Graham Dance Company. So they were able to participate in that as well as Alan Menken who really gave his analysis to each individual student on how to improve. So is that the kind of thing you're referring to? Absolutely. Not only that, those are special uh, opportunities uh, because those individuals, you know, the Martha Graham Company, these great dancers who have been around for a, a while and they're offering great expertise to our students, they are, that interaction and they have the opportunity to perform with those artists. Our, I mean, our students, our dance students had a chance to, to dance on stage with the company. They, it was, it was, I, got so emotional watching them in front of the public to an audience of 1,200. It's hard to imagine a greater opportunity for a young dancer who is going to college to be able to perform at that level, at that level of professional uh, dancer. But they also had a chance to actually work in rehearsal with those dancers as well. One of the great things you learn when you're becoming an artist is at first you feel there's a great separation between the professional and the, and the learner. When I was a student at CalArts, I thought, oh, I have so much to learn to be a professional. But when you start working with professionals, you realize they have some of the same struggles. They have some of the same concerns. They have some of the same problems that you, you have as a student. So the gap between what you want to be and what you are at the moment seems to shrink. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have a lot to learn, but it means that, that you think, oh, I can really do this. So that piece of learning in and of itself is tremendous, that those dancers could walk away and say, okay, I still have a lot to learn, but I can see myself reaching that that pinnacle sometime very soon, that drives you to get better. As far as Alan Menken is concerned, I mean, what a, an astounding opportunity to have students uh, maybe crit critiqued and, uh, and really have a, a conversation on a very personal level with, uh, with Alan Menken. And we had the pleasure of interviewing him backstage on this podcast and talked about that. And he feels that it's very important for him to be able to provide that feedback so that students like you're referring to can actually grow from that and and really keep that in their mind as they move up the uh, the line the the uh, the artist mentoring artist model is one of the best models for teaching right and learning but i would suggest because i've been that artist that has gone to colleges sometimes and been the sort of expert in the room i would also suggest that those artists that are do giving the critiques those moments that martha graham company is doing the teaching they're also learning because to be around students and to watch students watch students succeed watch students struggle they learn something more about the art and about themselves as well 
I know that I started to grow as an artist again the moment I began teaching. And that surprised me because I thought, well, it's time to give back when I began teaching, time to give back to the students. And then I started working and went, wow, they're giving as much to me and making me recognize the kinds of things that I should be working on that I'm telling them to work on. I was almost speaking to myself, which led me to write a book about acting training because I suddenly saw the flaws in myself and how to maybe start correct them as an artist. And I thought, well, that sounds like a book. And I wrote, I wrote a book about it. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check it out. But that's incredible. It, it does give me chills <laughs> that you are getting that so much out of it. It's two-way street. You know, right. when artists mentor artists, there are things both can learn. Now, granted, the student is the focus. But it's, there is osmos, osmosis going on there, right? The uh, absorption of new ideas by working with young people who have a lot of good ideas as well. So... Just as you know, the name of our podcast is Backstage at Tillis Center. So my favorite question is always, and you were, of course, an actor, what is one of your favorite backstage stories? <laughs> so something that people wouldn't necessarily know. You can Maybe it's an interaction with a celebrity artist. You can to name or not name, but it's more about the story. What can you share with us. Well, there's a lot of them. I've spent a lot of hours on stage. You know, when you when you perform and you get in a hit show, and I've had the great good fortune of being in a variety of hits, you perform eight times a week. And so if you perform eight times a week and you do that for 20 or 25 years, you're, you have a lot of backstage time. Uh, so there's a lot to choose from. But um, I think maybe the, the, the most interesting for me and the, the, maybe the most frightening for me, I was doing Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats in, in Hamburg, and we were singing in German. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, I was playing Rum Tum Tugger, and the first entrance and the most important entrance of the play for Rum Tum Tugger is the very first one, and it's at the big top of his song, and you stand backstage, you're eight or nine feet in the air on a platform, and there's a door at the back of, of, the, of the upstage area, and Tugger kicks his way through the door and interrupts the music, and that's how his song begins. So right before I was supposed to kick the door down, within a few seconds, the, the, the folks backstage were waving at me and says, your mic's not working, your mic's not working. And so I had two mics, so I clicked, and they, 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 they nodded their head and I thought, okay, great. And I looked back at the door, getting ready for my cue. I've got maybe 15 more seconds. And they started waving at me because your second mic's not working, your second <laughs> mic's not working. And so I thought, well, this has got to be the worst day of my life, right? So they came up, they jumped up, and within a few seconds, they plugged a new mic and they clipped it onto my collar. And I thought, well, thank, thank goodness. And I started to breathe again. A few seconds later, I kicked at the door, and the door didn't come down. Now, the door is... Your leg did. I, I don't really <laughs> kick the door down. You said I just kick at it, and then the, 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 it's the cue to lower the door, so it looks like it's being kicked in. I'm clearly not kicking in the door. But I kicked, and it didn't move. And I kicked again, and it didn't move. And I kicked again, and it didn't move. It turned out that the, 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 the mechanism was jammed. I didn't know at the time. So not only was... And so I was very frightened, but it was time to sing. So I started singing because I knew I was, my mic was, I thought my mic was up. So I'm running around backstage singing as everyone on stage is wondering, what, where is Tugger? And I slid across the stage on my rear end and got to the where I needed to be and, I, and, and finished the number. And when I finished, I don't remember a thing of what happened on that. I mean, I don't remember the, the whole seven minutes. I don't remember one moment of that because my mind was still stuck on me. I didn't get on stage. I didn't have a microphone. And, um, but I guess it was, I guess it worked out all right. Did, do you think the audience knew what was going on? I don't think they had any idea, but, but 
it must have been an odd moment that they heard a, a, a disembodied voice from offstage singing the song that they knew, right? <laughs> Can I get you to sing a few bars? Not tonight. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh, Another time. Invite me back. That sounds good. And before we leave, a special uh, guest joined us for a brief moment. My sister, Jan Udy, here from uh, Georgia Tech University in Atlanta. Welcome, Jan. Using the stereotypical Southern greeting, hey, y'all. <laughs> Now, um, uh, just to, I, it, it dawned on me as Stephen is sharing all this excitement and the vision for the college and how the students, you're kind of at the other end of the spectrum in the net world of nanotechnology. I'm just going to throw out there because you and Stephen had a great uh, conversation prior to the podcast about the whole, how important is the STEM to STEAM um, element in, uh, in the world we're living in now? Well, my personal story is I'm the social and ethical implications coordinator for a nanotechnology research cleanroom called the Southeastern Nanotechnology Infrastructure Corridor. And Easy for you to say. I, right. <laughs> I, I had to make a video of what it means to think about the social implications of nanotechnology, which isn't quite developed yet. So um, I don't have a background in making a video, but luckily, PowerPoint, you know, headphones, I wrote my own script, and uh, everybody heard it, and they were excited about it. it. It will eventually be smoothed over by somebody who talks faster and without a Southern accent, but... Uh, but you created yes. content. Exactly. And, and, and creativity in your field probably is equally important in a different way as it is to anyone else, at, at, at all fields. Because creative thinkers, even if you're a researcher and you're a hard researcher in terms of the, the sciences, the hard sciences or the bench sciences, the best science, scientists I've ever met are creative thinkers and doers. Right. There's technical creativity and artistic creativity, but they're increasingly coming together. Some of my colleagues are taking improv classes so they can actually do this, you know, with, uh, with training. <laughs> That's great. And, you know, improv classes, just as a side note, is really um, the basis of much of acting understanding what's being said, listening what's being said, and responding to it truthfully. It is the basis of acting, even though there's lots more technique to acting than that. The Im improvisational process of listening and really seeing and really hearing and really responding, those things are inherent to all of acting as well as all of uh, improvisation. So it's a, it's a good thing for them to be working on. Become a little bit of an actor, right? Exactly. Well said. Well, thank you again, Stephen Breeze, Dean of the College of Arts, Communication, and Design at LIU, also known as CACD. Thank you. I hope you'll come back as the school year begins and share a little bit about some of the excitement going on. I'd love to share. Thanks. And Jan, thanks for joining us, too. Thank you. You've been listening to Backstage at Tillis Center on the campus of LIU Post in Brookville, Long Island. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit wcwp.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.